0: Welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times, I'm Sean McKenna. If you were watching the news two weeks ago, you might have been surprised to see a rather chaotic scene playing out in the halls of parliament. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the cause of all that commotion? Well, it all had to do with a controversial bill to overhaul immigration rules that was sent to parliament and approved earlier this month. Reiwa Shinsengumi leader, Taro Yamamoto, thrust himself onto a crowd of lawmakers who had formed a kind of human wall around Hisatake Sugi, the chairman of the Legal Affairs Committee, as a way to physically disrupt proceedings. If you were watching video of the commotion on the news, then you may have noticed a young, red-headed Italian among the swarm of Japanese politicians and journalists. That was our political reporter, Gabriele Ninavaggi. And he's on the show today to explain what got Taro Yamamoto and some other opposition party members so worked up about immigration. Gabriele Ninivaggi, thanks for coming back on Deep Dive. Thank you, Sean. Okay, we'll get to the meat and potatoes of this immigration reform bill in a moment. First, you were pretty close to the action in Parliament. Do you want to tell us what exactly happened? Sure. So I got to this upper house committee room around maybe 10 minutes before we
1: were supposed to be there mm-hmm. at 9.45. Because uh, I wanted to take a look at what was going on in the committee's board meeting where uh, the representatives from the main parties were uh, talking over the agenda uh, for the meeting.
0: Okay. And they were discussing this immigration reform law.
1: Exactly. Yes. That was yeah. the last meeting in that upper house committee before the bill passed, right. the plenary session. Okay and that was uh, the following day, actually. Uh, but the place was already packed with journalists, cameras... Uh, bureaucrats and politicians obviously Uh there had been reports that the ruling parties were going to steamroll the bill Mm. during that committee that very day Uh, so at some point after the board meeting uh, some opposition lawmakers who are obviously very aware of the presence of the cameras began shouting stop the steamroll and walked through this sort of throng of people
0: to reach the main committee room okay stop the steamroll what is that in japanese yamete kudasai Catchier in English, I think. I guess, yeah.
1: <laughs> so in the room, some of these lawmakers tried to stand up and express uh, their opposition to the law and uh, express their concerns, while some others kept hackling, you know, stop the steamroll, stop the steamroll, in the direction of the ruling party lawmakers. And the situation got pretty tense after uh, 20, 30 minutes. And that's when uh, Taryamamoto, Moto, uh, who wasn't even a member of the committee actually, uh, mm. tried to jump uh, on the crowd.
0: What was it like to suddenly be in the middle of all this? Was it exciting?
1: Overall, I think amused is probably the most appropriate word. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I understand the importance of taking time to debate uh, and for the opposition to express their dissent uh, towards a piece of legislation that they don't approve of. Uh, But considering that everybody already knew what was going to happen, it it looked a bit uh, melodramatic and kind of staged.
0: Ah, yeah, the theater of politics, right?
1: Yeah, so outside of the room, some other lawmakers, even lower house ones who are not supposed to be there, uh, began just sobbing in front of the cameras. Right. And I also heard some uh, strong
0: language that I thought was a bit out of place. Mm. What was the fallout? Was anyone injured? Was Yamamoto disciplined?
1: Yes. So two people had minor injuries, and although actually members of both the ruling and opposition parties were in favor of uh, punishing Yamamoto. This week, the Assembly suspended any judgment on the matter, and so he likely will not receive any reprimands. Mm. Uh, I've talked to some of my senior colleagues about this, and they told me that this kind of mayhem is not really new, actually. It used to be much worse in the past. And so Japanese media uh, are sort of used to this, and so is the
0: Japanese population at large, I would say, to some extent, obviously. Okay, well, I'm glad you weren't hurt. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Politics is a rough business. So, Gabriele, Let's get to this immigration reform bill that sparked all that drama. Uh, it was passed by the upper house, like you said, on June 9th. And that was the day after that little scuffle. Yeah. Who supported it and who was against it? So the bill was originally submitted by the government. And obviously the ruling coalition, which
1: is made up of the Liberal Democratic Party and Komeito, supported it. Mm-hmm. But during the d- debates in the lower house, uh, Nippon Ishinokai and the Democratic Party for the People, they cooperated with the government to just slightly amend The bill. Okay. Yes, and some other opposition parties, including the Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan and the Japanese Communist Party, together with Reiwa Shinsengumi, which is Taro Yamamoto's party, opposed the bill in the lower house and then in the upper house too.
0: Right. What is in the bill that makes it so controversial?
1: So the bill is meant to address the inadequacies of Japan's asylum system. In fact, it's called an immigration reform bill, but it largely centers on refugees and asylum seekers. It tries to do so in three areas, mostly. The first one revolves around asylum requests and the deportation process. The second one is around uh, detention conditions of asylum seekers. And then the last one concerns legal protection of refugee seekers
0: who are escaping conflict. Okay, so number one, asylum requests and the deportation process. Number two, detention conditions of asylum seekers. And the third is legal protection of refugee seekers escaping conflict. Yeah, correct.
1: Uh, the core concern, according to the opposition, is the first bit about asylum seekers and deportation
0: practices. Let's start with that then. Yeah. Explain to us what's happening in a bit more detail.
1: Sure. So uh, previously, if you were applying for refugee status in Japan, you could apply as many times as you wanted to. And the authorities could not uh, deport you when you were in the middle of an application process. Okay. So many people coming here seeking asylum would just get stuck in a cycle of continuously
0: applying for refugee status okay so if they I guess if this cycle continued indefinitely then they could almost be living here in Japan Well sort of uh, but
1: we had obviously severe restrictions on what they could do mm. uh, this kind of limbo wasn't really a winning situation for them okay yeah nevertheless, according to the immigration agency in December of 2022 the number of asylum seekers who refused to leave Japan uh, despite being told to do so had jumped to 4233. Mm. Uh, which
0: was a 31% increase from the previous year. Okay, so how then did the government or specifically this new law respond to the limbo situation? So this
1: revised law now sets a limit of two asylum requests.
0: Two? Down from unlimited? Yeah. So it's two strikes and you're out?
1: Yeah, so if both requests are rejected, the authorities can deport the asylum seeker back to their home country. Uh, However, there is a possibility for a third request if the seeker has a reasonable cause. But... Yeah, under the new system, the
0: authorities will be allowed to deport the asylum seeker during their third request. So meaning they could be deported, succeed on their third request, and then be brought back to Japan?
1: Potentially, yes, but the likelihood that a third request will
0: pass the assessment is very slim. Uh,
1: and if they were to succeed, though, under the new law, they would be able to return to Japan in a shorter period of time
0: than before. Hmm. Now, Japan is also infamously known for not accepting many refugees. Is that right?
1: Yeah, correct. Uh, But it's a bit more complicated than that. Um, So you hear a lot about how Japan accepts a few refugees. And strictly speaking, if you compare Japan to other G7 countries, then that's true. Because places like America or the UK accept uh, thousands Mm. of people every year. In Japan, actually, in 2022, only uh, 202 people were granted refugee status. Mm. And that's out of the 3,772 applications that were made, which is around uh, 5.4%. On the other hand, though, Japan allows people in on humanitarian grounds uh, without calling them refugees. Mm -hmm. And it sticks to a very literal interpretation of the UN Refugees Convention that it ratified. So that humanitarian number is higher. We're talking about over 1,960 people, according to Justice Ministry data.
0: Have you ever been able to ask lawmakers what they think of this reputation Japan has? Like, how do they defend it?
1: Yes, so I've spoken to ruling party lawmakers, and what they told me is that Japan is geographically and culturally very far from the countries where most asylum seekers come from, and that most people who are fleeing their homes tend to head to countries within the proximity of their own country. So they say that for this reason, Japan receives few requests from the countries that people are escaping, uh, which is why overall numbers remain low compared to other G7 countries. But they said also that if something happened to North Korea, for instance, then the situation would be very different. Hmm. Yeah, however, some people just don't buy that line of reasoning because, for example, after the last coup time in Myanmar, Japan didn't really change its stance, and numbers have stayed very low. And some other countries in the G7, like Canada and the U.S., take in refugees from countries that are not necessarily close to them, either geographically or culturally.
0: Okay, so we got the ruling party side. What does the opposition think about these new asylum request rules?
1: So critics, not just the opposition, but aid groups and NGOs, they feel that this provision results in a greater chance. that people seeking refuge will ultimately be returned to the countries they fled, uh, where they can face uh, persecution or even death Mm -hmm. sometimes. So Japan, as I said earlier, uh, has ratified the UN Refugee Convention and the Convention Against Torture. And in April, the United Nations human rights experts said about a proposed bill that, and I quote, The legislative proposals lifting automatic suspension of deportation procedures for asylum seekers would undermine international human rights law and the principle of non-refoulement, which means that you shouldn't return someone to where their life or freedom
0: is threatened. Gabriele, the second reform on that list we mentioned earlier in the show relates to the detention conditions of asylum seekers. Before we go over that, can you tell us who Ratniake Lianage Wishmasan Damali was? Yes, uh, the Japanese press calls her
1: Wishmasan, so I'll call her Wishmasan. Wishma uh, Uh, Wishma was a 33-year-old Sri Lankan national who died in custody while being detained at an immigration center in Nagoya. Um, So Wishma san came to Japan with the hopes of uh, becoming an an English teacher, and she was attending a Japanese language school when uh, she seemingly got involved with an abusive uh, boyfriend. Uh, She stopped uh, attending the school and was expelled, actually, at the end. Uh, And while she was trying to get away uh, from her boyfriend, she appeared at a police station. And since at that point she had been overstaying her visa, uh, she was sent to an immigration facility in in Nagoya.
0: That sounds like a nightmare. Yes,
1: and unfortunately, uh, things got worse, because it looked like wishima wasn't going to win her case for asylum, and she fell sick, very sick. But at the same time, detention center authorities thought she was faking it and didn't send her to a hospital. Now, uh, she did see doctors at the center who recommended she be hospitalized, but reports say that immigration officials were worried that she would try to escape. Um, she couldn't keep any foot down and she wasn't able to drink. And unfortunately, she passed away on March 6, 2021.
0: Yeah, it was a really heartbreaking story. Here's Wishma's sister speaking at a memorial service in Japan.
1: I don't believe that my sister's soul is at peace. I ask you all to pray that she can rest in peace. I'd like to change the law so that this kind of tragedy
0: never happens again. That was a clip from France 24 English. I think this story made more of an impression with the Japanese public than usual, as it was widely reported on.
1: Yeah, there was actually a video of her in detention being non-responsive. And I think that definitely had an impact on whoever would have watched it.
0: How did the Wishima case actually impact the current reforms made by the government?
1: Well, so Japan tried to pass a similar uh, version of this immigration reform in 2021. But because of Wishma's case, uh, they had to shelve in. Mm. Wishma's family is actually in the process of suing the Japanese government for how it handled the whole case. And some members of the family uh, came to Japan from Sri Lanka and were invited to watch the debates in the day. They've been expressing uh, their opposition to this new law, but that obviously didn't prevent the ruling parties from passing it. I actually had the opportunity to uh, meet them and uh, speak to them, And they were present at that upper house drama that we spoke about earlier.
0: Oh, wow. They were there.
1: Yeah, they were. And uh, with regard to the second part of this law, the part on detention conditions, the law enables the temporary release of asylum seekers under the supervision of a caretaker. And we're talking about a friend, a family member, or a lawyer, and seeks to provide authorities with greater flexibility in judging the need for detention. And that includes uh, the possibility of reviewing detention every three months uh, with the aim of reducing overcrowding at at detention facilities. Mm. It also stipulates that inspectors in charge of assessing asylum requests need to undergo some proper training in order to deepen their understanding of human rights, international affairs and the objectives of uh, international regulations concerning asylum seekers.
0: Interesting, because I have to admit, when I was listening to Wishma San's story, it kind of felt like there was a lack of empathy on behalf of those in charge of her. Mm-hmm. Um, that video that was released to the public, uh, you know, the authorities appeared to be just focused on making sure she didn't get one over on them.
1: Yeah, I think that quite a few people
0: had that impression. This part of the
1: immigration reform law also strengthens the role of medical professionals, who conduct uh, some regular checkups on the detainees. And what you hear often from critics is that these facilities are a black box in the sense that you don't really know what's going on behind those walls. Hmm. What do critics have to say about this section of the bill now? So, well, during the period of debate over the law, uh, some incidents came to light that made critics wary about how things operate at the detention centers. So uh, for example, at the Osaka branch of the Immigration Bureau, a doctor had been removed from duty over suspicions that she had assessed detains while she was drunk. On top of that, there has been concern about bias in the assignment process of external advisors, uh, which are the ones tasked with assessing asylum requests. So it was found that out of 111 of these inspectors, one of them, Sakoyanase had been in charge of a disproportionate amount of case reviews and said she didn't believe a majority of the refugee claims. We know her name. Yeah, we do, uh, because her comments were public. Uh, She said them in front of a Diet Committee. Uh, But because of the number of rejections, critics worried uh, she might be biased. Uh, But on the other hand, it is a subjective role. So the opposition parties made the conclusion that the legislative foundation at the basis of the law uh, is still shaky as it doesn't include a way to hold these people in positions of power more accountable.
0: Okay, Gabriele, the third part of the bill seems to be a bit more positive in that it expands the definition of a refugee to include those who are trying to escape conflict. Can you tell us a little bit more about that part? Sure. So this
1: part mostly comes out of the war in Ukraine. Mm. So, after Russia invaded Ukraine in February last year, uh, the government made an emergency decision to accept Ukrainian asylum seekers. And as of the start of June, uh, 2,448 had entered uh, Japan. But the thing is, they have been classified as evacuees and not as refugees. And they have been given a temporary residence status. So, Japan defines refugees as those who face persecution for the race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. Uh, and people fleeing conflict, like the Ukrainians this time, are often not part of this group, and they're disqualified. So, Japan has created this quasi-refugee status
0: in the evacuee. Actually, our former intern, Natalia Makohon, talked about her experience as an evacuee on this podcast back in February. Uh, We can link to that episode in the show notes.
1: Right. So what the bill tries to do is to set up a more concrete system for these quasi-refugees and give them a path to qualify for resident status, to work, and to receive national pensions in Japan. Uh, It also lets them apply for permanent residency a little more easily.
0: I'm guessing that not much of the criticism around this immigration reform bill is levied at that section because that expands the definition of a refugee But are there any other critiques that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Actually, yes. There is one that specifically refers to the children of those who have been applying for asylum. Hmm. Uh, Some of those waiting to hear back on their claims, uh, on their refugee claims, they have gone ahead with their lives in Japan and have had uh, children here. And so at the moment, there are about 200 kids in this situation. So they have only grown up in Japan, they speak Japanese and go to a Japanese school and they don't know much about their uh, parents' home country. So if their parents are deported, then they face the prospect of having to return to a country they have never been to and not know much about, as I said.
0: I think this is a familiar situation in many countries, actually. Uh, Specifically, you hear about it a lot in the United States.
1: Yes. So some of the arguments are the same here as they are in the States. Uh, Masahisa Miyazaki, uh, who is an LDP, lower house lawmaker uh, I talked to, uh, told me that Japan cannot have a system in which asylum seekers who face the prospect of deportation are allowed to automatically obtain residence status if they have a kid in Japan. And he also added that in some cases, children have been granted a special permission to stay in Japan, and that he doesn't think that those children are that unhappy. He says the situations are often multifaceted and more complex than what critics are pointing out. He also stressed that Uh, this new law will help address these uh, shortcomings.
0: Okay, so Gabriele, it seems like Japan's immigration system needed an overhaul, though it also seems like it might still be a work in progress. Mm. Um, You know, I remember a news story from early in the year that said the number of foreign residents in Japan had risen to a record high of over 3 million in 2022. That means Japan is slowly but surely becoming more internationally diverse. And this is also happening as Japan's population is getting older and shrinking.
1: Right. So on that idea of more foreign residents, I spoke to a CDP lawmaker, lower house lawmaker, uh, Ryuichi Nayama, and he said something very interesting hmm. about this. Uh, so he says that the ruling coalition is actually open uh, to bring in more people into Japan, uh, but that they aim for a process that doesn't cause any uh, substantial disruption on the part of the Japanese population. Hmm. So that they impose a when in Rome, do as the Romans do, kind of thinking, Uh, meaning the onus is on foreigners to integrate smoothly and quickly. Right. Yonyama thinks that this is just not uh, possible. Uh, Japan needs to sort of increase the foreign population, but it will likely cause inconveniences on both sides. And there is really nothing wrong about it. And also, there's not much you can do about it. So he mentioned that Japanese people sometimes have a hard time themselves uh, when they go abroad. So it's not like it's impossible to deal with other cultures in Japan. Hmm. In that sense, laying the foundation of what inevitably needs to become a multicultural society means creating some room for these inconveniences uh, because not everything will go perfectly. And Japan needs to uh, foster some awareness and tolerance mostly and emphasize the good parts of social and cultural uh, inclusivity. The process in and of itself will take obviously generations. So imagining integration will make everyone content quickly and in the same way, it's just unrealistic. Mm. So according to Yanayama, this new asylum law will not really help Mm. in that uh, direction as practically it uh, conceives uh, foreigners as guests who need to adapt to Japanese society at all costs without even guaranteeing them, they will actually be integrated at some point.
0: Yeah, a little discomfort isn't always a bad thing. Gabriele, thanks for joining us again on Deep Dive. Thanks for having me back, Sean. My thanks again to Gabriele for coming on this week's show. We'll put links to his stories on immigration and refugees in the show notes. Elsewhere in the news, just before Japan's parliament, the Diet, wound up its plenary session for the summer... The country's age of consent was raised from 13 to 16 years old, as lawmakers passed key reforms to sex crime legislation last Friday. A new bill, which also clarifies rape prosecution requirements and criminalizes voyeurism, cleared Parliament's upper house in a unanimous vote. For some context, the age of consent is 16 in Britain, 15 in France, and 14 in Germany and China. Now, there are local ordinances across the country that effectively treat the age of consent as 18, But countrywide, the age of consent in Japan had remained unchanged at 13 since 1907. Also worth noting, under the new law, teen couples no more than five years apart in age will be exempt from prosecution if both partners are over 13. A small announcement to our listeners. Next week, Deep Dive will be taking a week off. However, we will be back with new episodes in July. Deep Dive is produced by Dave Cortez. Our interns are Himari Shimans and Christophe Luan. The closing theme is by Oscar Boyd, and the theme music was written by Japanese musician 4L. I'm Sean McKenna, thanks for listening, and potsukaresama!